So there will be multiple solutions to your problem, but as a team, come together and decide what is the best solution to that problem, firstly, to help prevent it from happening again, but also for your team, for your customers, for your suppliers, think about the business holistically and think about all of those different elements and decide on what the best solution for that problem is. But the main thing is you want it to help prevent it happening again. That is the main reason why, but think about those other factors as well. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of How Not to Run a Business. It's me, your host, Jeremy Jacobs. I hope you're doing very, very well today. And it's episode 9. Episode 9. I can't believe I've got to episode 9. There's many more episodes to come, but it feels like quite a long time since I started this podcast. I did take a naughty slash cheeky break from the podcast recording. I missed a week. And I failed. I failed to deliver on my promise to to release a podcast episode every two weeks. And I didn't succeed. So I think this episode is going to be quite fitting. I want to talk about how to deal with problems when they happen. So one of the intentions of this podcast series is to discuss failure and to normalize conversations around failure. And one of the things that I have always found very useful and is critical in any business is the ability to identify the root cause of a problem, what where that problem really came from, and to put something in place or to change a process, a system, whatever, you, whatever needs to be changed within your organization, whether that's a system or a process or people or how people deal with stuff, it's, it's a complex thing. But whatever needs to happen, and we are going to dig into this in, in this episode, something needs to change if something goes wrong, and you've got to identify what the problem is. So I'm going to talk a bit about this, because it's an extremely broad subject. And this was brought to my attention by Chris Devane, who uh, I met on Clubhouse Many, I think it was uh, many months ago last year, and Chris used to come into my room on a regular basis, and he always used to show up and ask really thought-provoking, interesting questions, which got everyone thinking and discussing and debating. Uh, and he sent me a message today, in fact, and said, uh, would you like to, or I suggest you talk about problem-solving within organizations and businesses. So I thought, I've got an episode to record I'm off to Hungary tomorrow, to tomorrow, not tomorrow at all, today, this afternoon. So I thought I'd be cheeky and squeeze in a podcast episode before I go to make sure it's done, to make sure I don't leave a gap in my podcast episode releases. So here we go. So I want to talk first of all about identifying you have a problem. And there's something very specific I want to talk about, and that is the... Uh, hubris or the ego of a business leader or a business owner, which prevents them from actually realizing there's a problem. Let me explain a little bit more about what I mean by that. So in some businesses, mostly manufacturing businesses, heavily operational manufacturing, where you're manufacturing a product, it's quite difficult to ignore when there's a problem. 
if something breaks down, a piece of equipment breaks down, a supplier doesn't bring something on time, if you're working on just-in-time methodology where you're getting your inventory and your your raw materials in at as close to the point of production as possible, for example, or let's say you're manufacturing a food product like when I have my food manufacturing business and you get a report back from a customer that they found a contaminant in the product, whether a piece of plastic or paper. So in those kinds of circumstances, it's really obvious when there's a problem. But if we start to bring in the human factor, human beings into the equation, then it starts to get a little bit more gray. The The distinction between whether there's a problem is more open to interpretation depending on who you speak to. Just look at the world today and how divided we are on opinion, how everyone's got a different view and opinion on something. And so sometimes in business, when that is the case, when you've got that human factor involved, then it can be harder to identify whether there's a problem because people will disagree or agree. And so that brings me to my first point, which is understanding as a leader the ability to be self-aware and to be humble enough to be able to admit when there is a problem and when there is something at fault. And I believe what a lot of business owners tend to do is, particularly if they're running a business by themselves or it's a business that they've created, is that we attach our identity and who we are to the business. So when something goes wrong, we tend to take it personally. And the problem with that is that when we start to take things personally, then we're less inclined to actually hold our hands up and admit that we've been at fault because we're the leader of the business. We have this idea that we are meant to know everything, have everything sorted, not cause any problems, you know, be successful, don't fail. And that presents a problem when you're trying to resolve issues within your business. So that is the first most important hurdle in dealing with problems within your business, particularly if you're a business owner or you started the business yourself. I'm not saying that that is the case. I know plenty of managers and leaders within organizations where they've been employed who have this same problem. So that is always the first step is to look inwards and be willing and able to admit that you've made a mistake or there is a problem within your team because we do feel responsible and we are responsible to a certain extent. But if we can't get past that effectively, then the chances of us actually being willing and able to deal with the problem and look at it is far less likely. And as we all hopefully know, that the only way you can prevent a problem from happening again is to identify that there is a problem and then actually take action to do something about it to prevent it from happening again. And I'm going to hold my hands up and say that I used to really struggle with this, particularly in the early days of when I first started my business, like 15 years ago. Um, I can still catch myself doing it nowadays. If I feel like I don't feel confident or I'm lacking self-esteem or self-worth, which does change on a daily and weekly basis in my life. And I'm sure it does you. If that, if my self-worth and my self-confidence is on the floor, and I particularly if I've been through a series of failures, like for example, closing my business, 
then I'm less inclined and I'm more sensitive towards criticism, whether that's constructive or not, and even just feedback. So that's the first step. Self-awareness and humbleness to be able to look at yourself and admit where you've gone wrong. And sometimes, trust me, it's like swallowing gravel. It's not a nice experience. But as leaders in businesses and organizations, I believe it's a critical thing that we need to learn and practice on a regular basis. And so once you've done that, then it's about following some form of process to identify what the problem is, what caused it, and how you're going to prevent it from happening again. And now there's lots of different ways of doing this. And I'm not going to go through all of them because I don't have the time and I'm not an expert in all of these. But I have run a food manufacturing business for 13 years and we had very stringent food safety processes and management systems in place, which I developed to prevent problems from happening again. So I'm going to talk about that process, which I believe can be applied to any business and any situation. And I'm also going to mention some of the other tools which are out there, which my process is kind of, I say my process. Is it my process? I don't know. It's the process I used to use. I'm not going to be that arrogant to say I invented it. Of course I didn't. Um, But it's based on the food safety management systems that we had in place in my food manufacturing business. And there's also some elements of some other ones as well, which I will go through. I think one of them in particular, which is called the 8D process, is very, very useful for this because it takes you through a really nice step-by-step process. So I'm going to keep this episode short and punchy today. So let's dive in. So there's kind of two parts to this. One is the process-orientated dehumanized part of the process, which is all about identifying the issue and resolving it. So we used to have what we would call a customer complaint slash production incident form. And that what that process allowed us to do was when there was a problem identified, whether that was within our internal team, so something that we found, or whether a customer had raised the complaint, then we would have to follow this process every time. And essentially what we're doing is we're describing what the problem was in as much detail as possible. And then we think about what is the root cause analysis. So how do we identify what the actual problem was? Because sometimes it's not always what you think it is. And you can dig deeper into the problem to find out where the actual problem is. So it can be a bit deceptive. We would use the five whys, which is you ask yourself the question, why five times? Genius name, isn't it? So let me give you a on-the-fly example. So let's say that a customer didn't receive a delivery on time. And the first why you ask is, why did this happen? And someone would say, because we didn't have enough raw ingredients. Okay, second why, why is that? They weren't ordered on time. Okay, why was that? Because I've been too busy. Okay, why was that? Because I'm having to order everything manually. Okay, well, why was that? Because I don't have the proper systems in place to help me order stock effectively. So by answering those questions, because some people will stop at those first two questions, oh, I'm too busy or whatever, you need to dig deep 
into that and understand what's actually missing. So this actually happened to us. And then what we realized was that we needed to look at putting some more systems and automation in place to support the team to do their work. The other option is to go and hire another member of staff, but that is not always the solution to help with the busyness. But that isn't actually always the best solution because you're using a plaster to basically try and paper over a, a huge crack. So... Is that the right term? You, if you've listened to these podcasts, I'm absolutely hopeless at remembering like quotes and terms and phrases and whatever. Papering over the cracks, that's the, probably the more correct one. So you leave yourself, yeah, papering over the cracks, going around in circles here. But hopefully you get the point. So keep on digging out, digging into and finding what exactly is the root cause of this problem. And I kind of accidentally jumped ahead of myself then by talking about what the solution was, which was to implement a system or hire another member of staff. So that is the next step, which is around the corrective action. What are you going to put in place to ensure it doesn't happen again or reduce the risk? This is a really important thing I want people to get. You can't prevent accidents and and problems from occurring 100%. You can get very, very close, but the chances of you ever preventing a problem happening 100% is, as I understand it, impossible. There might be some people who are more experienced at manufacturing and processes and all this sort of stuff that that might disagree with me, but certainly in my experience and what I've learned, that the prevention of problems 100% is impossible. So we've identified the root cause. We've suggested or put in place some actions that we're going to take to reduce the risk and help prevent it happening again. Very careful with my words and what I said then. And then it's a case of implementing those changes and understanding whether or not they're working. So we used to have a tracker in a spreadsheet that would allow us when the problem was identified, we put log it. And then we would review that on a weekly basis in our production meeting to make sure that the problem had been resolved satisfactorily um, and that, that there was no more no more work was required to do that. And it would have to be signed off by me as the managing director. So we had lots of checks and balances in place that would help us to ensure that if a problem did occur, that we were putting it in place, something in place to prevent it from happening again, and that we had identified what was causing the problem. And then that actually, we used to send those to the customer, the sheets that were filled out. And then that gave them confidence that we were actually taking action and doing something about it. So there's absolutely no reason why you can't implement that into your business, no matter what you do. I think it's a really, really critical and important process, particularly for showing due diligence and also keeping the customer happy and ensuring that they feel confident and trust you that if a problem does arise, that you're going to take it seriously and you're going to do it everything within your power to get it resolved and then that will make them feel happier trust me so i mentioned earlier on that there are some uh, other processes and well-known structures that people use to help manage problems Um, one of them is the 8d eight disciplines process and so that is i'm going to go through them very briefly so you know what they are and you'll probably notice there are some similarities between the process that I just went through and then this one. So step one is to create a team. So if you've got a large organization, you're going to want to find the people that are best 
place to help resolve that, identify and resolve that issue. So that's going to be the people, for example, in my business that worked in the production team. But then I was also bring someone from the office admin team in who was helping with the processes. Um, so create that team of people around you that are involved in the process in any way and that can contribute to helping you to resolve the problem then the next step is to define and describe the problem so making sure that you're really clear about what the problem is and getting as much detail in there as possible then the next step is to contain the problem so for example if we noticed that there was a a problem with a contaminant in a product then we would have to stop production and actually make sure that we were looking at the processes as deeply as possible within a short amount of time to make sure that that problem doesn't happen again whilst you get the problem resolved Um, And it would only be that we would restart production if we made sure that that something was able to be put in place to prevent it or help prevent it happening again. Relatively small manufacturing uh, process in comparison to much bigger, larger organizations. So it was easier for us to do, but it was really important that we contain that problem to stop it from happening again or something slipping through the net until we got that resolution in place. Then the next step is identify, describe, and verify the root causes, which I've talked about before. So digging down, really being inquiring into every aspect of the problem, the teams around them, the systems, asking those five whys to understand what is really causing the problem. Because it's often we only go down two levels and we realize later on that actually that's not the cause. It contributes to, to it, but there's always often an underlying reason why it's happening. And you've got to dig down into those different levels to see that. Then choose your corrective actions. So there will be multiple solutions to your problem. But as a team, come together and decide what is the best solution to that problem, firstly, to help prevent it from happening again, but also for your team, for your customers, for your suppliers, think about the business holistically and think about all of those different elements and decide on what the best solution for that problem is. But the main thing is you want it to help prevent it happening again. That is the main reason why, but think about those other factors as well. Then you implement and validate those corrective actions. So that is step six. So take those corrective actions, put them in place and evaluate them. Are they working? Sometimes you might have to run your business, your production, your operations for a little while before you can be 100% sure. But you will get to the point where you feel like that has actually helped prevent the problem in the future. And then you can kind of close it down, knowing that this process is repeatable. So you can do it again if the problem arises. Then you take preventative measures. So whilst you've implemented corrective action to resolve that issue, then you need to think about preventative measures that are wider than that. So operational systems, management systems, uh, your practices, anything that is wider and outside that direct problem that needs to support the prevention of that problem happening again. And then the final step is to thank and congratulate your team. And this is brings me on very nicely to the other side of the conversation. And this is the human side, the human side. And so th- what I like about that AD process is it does allow you to acknowledge the team. And that's a really important thing. And so the part of the process, we used to actually call it dealing with problems that we had within our business was 
to follow a very similar process, but this really spent more time on understanding the personal side between the team members. So we went through a similar process. We acknowledged the problem, but the next step, so we'd sit down. If something if something broke down, for example, a customer complained, that was a, probably a classic example of when we would use this process. So we sit down and we acknowledge the problem. We understand what the root cause was, where it came from, who contributed towards that problem occurring. But then what we would do is we would take turns to acknowledge the impact on everyone involved in that process. And that included every team member, the customer, any potential supply, you know, supply everyone that could have potentially been impacted by that problem. And also the business as a whole. And this was done and this is where I really made sure people understood that this wasn't a process of judging or blaming, but just to understand the impact. So what was the impact on the customer? And we would talk about that, you know, say, well, they, they, didn't tr- they won't trust us as much, or they had a financial impact, or they had an impact on their business and their brand. And then we would go through each member, and one member might say, well, I feel really bad because I don't want to upset the customer and etc, etc. They would share what was going on for them, the other team members, all the team members involved in the process would. We'd also talk about the impact on the business and the brand, because there will be an impact on the business and the brand. If something goes wrong, it erodes trust, it damaged reputation. And we talked through all of that. And it's, it may be something that you're not used to, but it Trust me when it I say it did work and it has to be done very, very carefully because you have to make sure that you've got a relationship with your team where they they know that you're not blaming them, that you're not pointing fingers. This is not the point of the process because pointing fingers at each other and blaming each other does nothing but demotivate each other and do demotivate your team members. It does not work as a way, in my experience, to affect and change behavior. And so I had a compassionate understanding that we're all humans and we all make mistakes and it's okay, but let's understand what the problem is. I'll give you an example. I remember going into the team and they would be making this product for a customer and the quality wasn't very good. And I went in and rather than go, oh, you know, this, these products are no good. The customer's really upset. I'm so annoyed. I walked in and I was like, hey, everyone. So I've just got some feedback from the customer. They're really not happy because of the quality. And they all looked at it and they went, yeah, we can see that. And I said, what's going on? Like, talk to me. What's the problem? And they and we had a conversation and it actually turned out that they were all exhausted. They'd had a really, really stressful period. They were very, very busy. And they were just knackered. And they just... They just took the eye off their eyes off the ball, so to speak, and they made a mistake. And I can have compassion with that because I'm a human being. We all have days. We're not all superheroes. We're not all all the time. We're not switched on 100% of the time. It's not possible. I know people think, make it look like they are, but we all have bad days. And so having compassion and understanding that they're human and not beating them up and making them wrong and pointing fingers and blaming, but rather you know, acknowledging the fact that we know this isn't up to the standard of what we like to achieve and that we need to do better in the future. But what can we put in place 
to prevent this from happening again. Do they need? Do we need to work out a system of making sure that they have enough breaks, enough time off? We did. Uh, we did actually implement some stricter controls around how much time they had to take off and and when. I mean, that sounds a little bit draconian, but it's not like we weren't like you've. But I would say to them that you've got to take at least one week off every four week. Uh, sorry, every quarter. Or something like that. I can't remember the exact details. It was a, a while ago. But putting things in place to support them. But if I went in and started pointing the finger and blaming them, then they would get their back up, they would get defensive, and we wouldn't get the problem resolved. And it can be done in a caring, compassionate way, trust me. Um, and the next step on that would be to find the solution. You'll see there's a lot of similarity. And then work up the plan to put in place the corrective action and the plan and make sure it's implemented correctly but the last step, and this is what I feel is one of the most important, is to make sure that everyone is complete and happy with the process. So we would go around the room and everyone would say, yeah, I'm happy. I've said everything I need to say. I feel like I've been heard and listened to and the problem is going to get resolved. And we'd all make sure that we did that. And it takes some time because people aren't used to, in my experience, particularly with old uh, old school industries like bakery and food manufacturing like the older style i don't think people are as used to that kind of uh process and way of talking so it did take some time people have to trust the process trust you that they're not going to suddenly be uh you know called out or it's going to be used against them in the future you have to build that trust with your team to get to this point but it worked so incredibly well so i'm going to leave it there I wanted to make this nice and short and punchy. I hope I provided some insight into the processes that I use within my business to deal with problems and consider the human factor, particularly if you're a leader or a business owner or a manager in a team, running a team, accepting that you are human, you need to be self-aware, you need to be willing to be able to look inwards and admit when you're wrong, you've made a mistake and you're able to deal with that without taking it personally and feeling bad about yourself. Super, super important, in my opinion, when you're leading or managing a team. And following those processes, there's lots out there. I've only mentioned a couple. Um, those are the ones that I use or some variation have been very effective for me. But if you've got any others that you used to use within your business or any suggestions at all, then I'd love to hear them. You know where to contact me, jeremyjacobs.co.uk or jeremyjacobs.uk across all social media platforms. Go and check out my new website. I'm going to do a little mini promotion for myself. I've just launched a couple of programs. I'm now doing consulting, mentoring, coaching, that kind of thing for businesses that are at any stage um, and need some help getting themselves from that anxiety and that stress. And I'm not sure when next to a point of clarity and calmness and all those fabulous words. Also, make sure that you head over to my website and sign up to my newsletter. You can do that through jeremyjacobs.co.uk. I'm going to be sending out weekly emails and launching some very exciting things in the future. Thank you so much for listening in today. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. This has been How Not to Run a Business with your host, me, Jeremy Jacobs. If you like this conversation and you want to hear more, then make sure you follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And whilst you're there, if you want to leave me a review, I would really appreciate it. If you'd like to connect with me online, you can do so on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And my profile name is Jeremy Jacobs UK. 
or you can check out my website, which is jeremyjacobs.co.uk. So once again, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, keep on trying, keep on failing, keep on succeeding.